dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. And he told his father as well as his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? In addition to, uh, well, I believe that, that these dreams were from the Lord. I mean, they came true, every one of them. The problem was that when truth is delivered with arrogance, it's not received very well. Christians should take note of this. <laughs> Nobody likes a snob, even if you're right, especially a spiritual snob. So Joseph's older brothers were grazing the flocks in Shechem, which is about 40 miles from home. And they ran out of grazing there, and they moved on to Dothan. And Israel sent Joseph to check up on them and report back. And they weren't happy to see him. And they saw him at a distance, they said, here comes that dreamer. Ever notice how resentment rules the heart? How it causes the resenter to want to do wicked and ugly things to the resented? They said, let's kill him and throw him in this cistern. And say a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now Reuben, he was the only dissenter from the other ten. He said, let's not kill him. Well, he was the oldest. He was probably going to be held responsible. But they did take off his special coat and threw Joseph into a pit while they decided what to do. And while Reuben was away, probably moving his flock or something, a caravan of Ishmaelites bound for Egypt came by and they sold Joseph to them into slavery for 200 shekels of silver. A shekel is about a half an ounce. So that's basically $250 that they sold him for. And they concocted an alibi to tell their father, dipping a special coat in, in animal blood, uh, they said that a a wild beast, had, they were going to tell him that a wild beast had devoured him. Have you ever noticed how sin inevitably gives birth to a cover-up? It happened in the Garden of Eden. It happened with Cain and Abel. It happened here. It's been happening ever since, from the White House to the outhouse. I don't care who's sitting in the White House. As a species... We've only gotten better at it. They couldn't just go up to Israel and say, hey, we sold your favorite son into slavery because we hated him. <laughs> Even though that was the truth. But they could say, we found this bloody coat on the plain. Do you recognize it? Israel was devastated when they did this. He wanted to die. As a matter of fact, no one could comfort him. Joseph was a victim, but he was not blameless. Maybe he couldn't help his father's uh, favoritism, but he could control his response to it. 
The Lord gave Joseph prophetic dreams that came to pass, but you can tell by his father's and his brother's responses that it, it caused a lot of sour feelings towards Joseph. He was self-seeking and self-serving, and he elevated himself in front of those he was to serve. Arrogance is a repellent, and Joseph's arrogance alienated his family. So at age 17, Joseph was sold to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials. He was the captain of the guard. It says over and over through this narrative that the Lord was with Joseph. All through this story, think about this. He was a slave. He didn't belong to himself anymore. He was in a strange land. He was out of his comfort zone of anything he had ever known before. But the Lord was with him. That's important for us to understand today. The Lord works in our lives and our circumstances where we're at now, today. It doesn't matter how it looks from your eyes. What matters is that he is in this. And he was working with Joseph, and he blessed him. Everything that Joseph put his mind or his hand to prospered. So much so that his master, Potiphar, put him in charge of the whole house. The scripture says that the only thing Potiphar wanted a choice in was what I'm having for dinner. The rest of it is yours, Joseph. You take care of it. And Potiphar's house prospered. The favor of God also caught the eye of Potiphar's wife. He wanted this handsome young achiever, but not in the way Potiphar did. And she was persistent. Day after day she pursued him, but he would not give in. One day, she caught him alone in the house and grabbed him by the garment. Now, he may have gotten away with sleeping with her, but still he would not do it. He ran out of his clothes away. Joseph handled this temptation much better than King David did with Bathsheba. He ran from sin. I would like to think from my experience that if I run from sin, I will avoid the consequences of sin. But that isn't always true. I thought while studying this story, how common Potiphar's wife's response to Joseph was. Regardless of his integrity, her response was, I don't get my way, you're gonna pay. And pay he did, right to prison. Imagine how he felt. I did right. I didn't do the bad things. Now I'm going to jail for doing right. This just isn't fair. And it wasn't fair. Maybe some of us have been there. Maybe we're there today. Something I learned was that sometimes I get the opportunity to feel bad over things I did right. Doesn't make sense. But regardless of how he felt or what he thought, 
Joseph was still in jail. Genesis 39 says, But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. It's awesome how God meets us where we're at. In our highest high or our lowest low, he's still there. It does not matter what the circumstances are. So while in prison, Joseph was given the gift of uh, interpreting dreams. Well, as the story goes, Pharaoh was angry with his baker and his cupbearer. He threw them into the same prison that Joseph was in. And they both had dreams. They're recorded in Genesis 40, and I'll read them because it's faster than explaining them. <laughs> so the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up, lift up your head and, and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me. Show me kindness. Tell Pharaoh about me and get me out of here. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three, the three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh. Both dreams came true. But the cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot all about him. For two full years. Anything you're waiting on from the Lord? Shoot up a prayer, you think you ought to hear something by morning? Two full years later, Pharaoh had a couple of dreams that troubled him. None of Pharaoh's magicians or wise men could interpret these dreams. And it was then that the cupbearer remembered Joseph. And the cupbearer told Pharaoh about his, his and the baker's dreams and how Joseph had correctly interpreted them, and they came true. It was time. It was God's time. He's never late. He's never early. He's always right on time. We need to remember that in our prayer life. Joseph was cleaned up and brought before the most powerful man of, his, in his, of that history, Pharaoh. And he was there to interpret his dreams that no one else could do. And I think it's really cool about Joseph that he gave all the credit to the Lord. He said, it's God that interprets dreams but he'll tell me what to tell you. In Pharaoh's dream, seven fat and sleek cows came up out of the Nile. Then seven scrawny, ugly cows came out of the Nile and ate the seven healthy cows. But after they ate them, they were still scrawny and ugly. Pharaoh said in here, they were the scrawniest and ugliest cows I've ever seen. 
And in another dream, seven good and healthy heads of grain and one stalk on one stalk were consumed by seven withered and scorched grain, heads of grain, who after eating the good heads were still withered and scorched. Joseph knew right away from the Lord. He told Pharaoh that the two dreams are the same. And the reason the Lord gave you two dreams is because this is really serious. He wants you to hear this. Seven years of abundant bumper crops will be followed by seven years of famine. The reason God has revealed this to Pharaoh is so that he can prepare for it and save his nation. And after consulting with, uh, with his wise men, Pharaoh said this in chapter 41. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Wow. From slave, or from spoiled brat to slave, from slave to head butler, from head butler to jailbird, and from jailbird to prime minister of the most powerful nation in the region. You think he could sell some books today? Maybe get a few speaking engagements or have his picture on the cover of a magazine? They'd be lining up to hear what this guy had to say. All power was given to Joseph except the throne. And he performed with excellence. See, everything he'd been through up to this point, all the giftings of God, all the trials and disappointments that he had been through were a, a preparation for the role he was to play in this major world event. Pharaoh's dreams came true. There were seven years of plenty during which they stored up all the excess and they were followed by seven years of famine. But Egypt was prepared. But all this only set the stage for what the Lord was really up to. And that is preserving the fledgling nation of Israel who were also experiencing a famine. And when they ran out of food, Israel, about two years into the famine, Israel sent his ten older sons to Egypt to buy food. These were the same brothers who 22 years earlier had sold Joseph for 25 bucks apiece. Joseph knew who they were when they came before him, but they did not recognize him because he looked like any other Egyptian official. And he played a game with them, a game in which he held all the face cards, the aces, and I think the whole suit of spades was no way for them to win. <laughs> he accused them of being spies. And he manipulated them through his interrogation to revealing conditions back at home concerning his father and his little brother Benjamin. Joseph told them that he would hold one brother hostage until the others brought Benjamin back to prove they weren't spies and they weren't lying. So Brother Simeon was taken hostage and the others sent home. 
when this plan was proposed to Israel, it was no sale. You are not, I don't care what, I don't really even care about Simeon. <laughs> you are not taking Benjamin to Egypt. He says, I could not bear to lose the only full brother of my favorite, Joseph. But once again, hunger drove Israel to meet Joseph's demands. And he sent the brothers and Benjamin back to Egypt reluctantly. When they arrived and they went to Joseph's house, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house and they bowed down before him to the ground. Sound familiar? And he asked them how they were, and, and then he said, How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well, and they bowed low to pay him honor. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. What an emotional scene for Joseph. What an awkward and scary scene for 11 brothers. So Joseph played another game. He sent them home, each one with his money, back in the sack that he came to, they came to buy grain with. And he put his silver cup in Benjamin's sack. And shortly after their departure, he sent his servants after him. And when they caught up with him, they accused him of being thieves. They all denied it, having no knowledge of the cup. When the cup was found in Benjamin's sack, back to Egypt they came. Joseph was only going to hold Benjamin for the crime, but Judah begged to take his place. He had personally guaranteed Benjamin's safe return and argued that Israel would be devastated to the point of death if he didn't return, being the only remaining son of Rachel because his brother Joseph was dead, or so they thought. But you can see from the brother's side, this just didn't have a good side to look at. And Joseph starting in chapter 45, could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that his servants heard it, and Pharaoh heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I can imagine. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in all the land, and the next five years there will not be plowing or reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth 
and to save your lives by a great deliverance. What a powerful scene this was. The dreams that this spoiled and arrogant 17-year-old boy had had come to pass 22 years later. And you know what? His brother and his father all bowed to him. They were reunited and Israel was saved from extinction by Joseph's suffering and God-appointed position as the second-in-command of Egypt. It was Pharaoh himself who demanded that wagons and provisions be provided and sent to bring Israel and all their possessions and all their herds and all their flocks and all their little ones, about 90 people, and bring them back to Egypt. Remember the upper, lower stories of what's going on here? The principle? How God was fulfilling his promise to Abraham and to build a great nation is the upper story. The story of Joseph and everything he endured is the lower story. Joseph forgave his brothers. No, he didn't have to. But I believe that he did because he saw that God was up to something much bigger. From the beginning of this experience, the Lord was with him. The Lord continued, I don't think, maybe until he saw his brother standing before him that he went, oh, I get it. This is why I've been through all this stuff. Now what his brothers did was wrong. But God used their sin and jealousy to bring about his overall plan. The famine would have wiped out the fledgling little nation of Israel. Wiped them out, naturally, from starvation. But supernaturally, God lined all this up and saved them by placing Joseph in the right place at the right time and the right position. So why did God allow a famine in the first place? Think, well, you know, he could have just had a famine everywhere but where Israel was. Or he could have not had a famine at all. Or maybe a famine every other year, so they got used to it. It wasn't time for Israel to take possession of the promised land. They were too few. The nation was too small. It was going to take a long time to build them into a great nation. Also, they needed to be prevented from intermarrying with the people who lived there. The Canaanites were an idolatrous and adulterous people, and it would have polluted God's chosen ones. God's plan was perfect. Pharaoh put Israel in the very fertile land of Goshen, where they thrived. Also, the Egyptians thought that marrying a shepherd was an abomination. So they didn't intermarry with the Egyptians. So the nation of Israel would remain separate and pure and grow into a mighty nation. Joseph endured 22 years of difficulty and challenge, but he endured because he was 
he saw the upper story. And the Lord was with him. So, how does this story relate to us at Community Church in the year 2013? I don't even know if we have any shepherds that come to this church, do we? <laughs> what is our attitude when we go through tough times and testing? Now, if you haven't been through tough trials, you will. Hopefully, none of us will have as difficult as trials as Joseph did. But when we are tested, do we put all our focus on ourselves and our feelings? Poor me. God doesn't love me anymore. Look what he's doing. He's not answering my prayers. All is lost. Think of Joseph. Though he was a slave, he recognized that the Lord was with him, being a slave. And he prospered, even in jail. Are we willing to submit to God's upper story, recognizing that our role, which is the lower story, will require God's positioning and equipping for us to be fit for his plan? not our own. The Apostle Paul wrote in, uh, in Romans 8.28, you cue that up for us. This is a man that endured tremendous suffering for the cross of Christ. He was shipwrecked, stoned, beat up, uh, just tremendous suffering. But he writes, he writes this, and let's read this together. And we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Think of the things. It says things in there. Leave that up if you would, please. Think of the things that Joseph endured. In all of those, God was working it for good. And a great good result. And think of how the Lord changed him in a 22-year year period to bring about the greatest good of his plan. It says, those who love him. It's hard to love someone you don't know. You might love who they are or what they are, but to actually love them demands a relationship. A relationship with Jesus Christ is what Paul's talking about here. And if you don't have, haven't begun that relationship with Jesus Christ, what are you waiting for? The world isn't becoming an easier place to live. I noticed. You could see me or a trusted friend after the service, and let's make that important step. Today, there are those here today whose lives are going really well and joy. <laughs> God bless you. 
But don't be surprised if you get called to play a difficult role in the future to accomplish God's upper story. And then there are those here today who are having a Joseph experience. Things aren't going too well. May be your fault, may not be your fault. May be only part your fault. But things are tough right now, and they don't make sense. I love you. More important than that, the Lord loves me. And he is right here beside you today. Right where you're at. Whether it feels like it or not. Whether you see any evidence of it or not. He's here. And he wants you to lock arms with him and go through this like Joseph did. He is here working it out for good in your life. And this isn't something that we just think or hope. He's got his word on it. It says right there, we know. We know this. Some of us who have been through some of these experiences before know it better than others. But you need to know that he's working in your life to bring about that good for you and for him. In the name of Jesus, let's pray. Father, what an example Joseph is. What a, what a story. And whether we can relate to it now by our own pain or experience or not, we give you the credit for being with him. And we give you the credit for being with us, each one. Make it real to us today and help us to walk uh, not for ourselves, but for you and to finish your story in the name of Jesus. And if there's anybody that's having a Joseph experience among us today, after we have our circle, please come up and get prayer for it. It's an amazing and powerful thing when other believers lay hands on your shoulders and pray for you. Don't do this alone. Do it with your family, your church family. Unless we're going to have the offering now. Um, I'll pray over the offering as they come forward and... Uh, the lovely Anna is going to sing for us. <laughs> Father, we thank you for the privilege of giving back a portion of what you've given us. We ask you to multiply it and use it for your kingdom and your glory. In the ever almighty name of Jesus, amen.